Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, we have Sharon Saylor. Really exciting stuff. She is a communications and body language expert, affectionately dubbed the difficult people whisperer by her clients. So that's going to be fascinating. She's an international consultant and best-selling author and devoted to teaching professionals to be courageous, conscious communicators, both verbally and non-verbally. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's just an honor to be here with you today. Oh, it was so wonderful to also be on your show too. And for the audience listening right now, we're, we're going to be talking about a couple of things. So if you are experiencing or have any uh, issues with autoimmune disorders, uh, Sharon is also an expert in that arena, and we'll be touching on that as well. Let's, before we lead into that, how, how do you go about being a communications and body language expert and tell us about what led you into that arena? It's an interesting story. I don't know if you've ever just sort of fallen into your passion. <laughs> on a I, 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 I fell into it right here. I'm right here. Exactly. Yes, I, I have. <laughs> well, that happened to me over two decades ago. I actually owned a marketing and graphic design company years and years ago and went through a rough patch in my life. And my friends know if Sharon's going through a rough patch, distract her, teach her something, in, you know, engage her in something. So we all went away to a weekend workshop. It was great. And the first speaker on the Saturday morning was an internationally known body language and nonverbal communications expert. I was mesmerized, Al. I mean, I was so mesmerized. I think I stopped breathing. <laughs> I was just could not take my eyes off this person. What he was saying was fascinating. I was... And about mm, two hours in, he calls a break. And let me back up and say, I'm actually pretty introverted and shy. And I'm one of those people that like to sit in the back of the room and take notes. And like, don't notice me. Just uh, I'm just back here taking notes. Well, in about mm, around 100 people were in the room. He came all the way to the back of the room, whispered in my ear at the break, let's go for a walk. And I don't know about you, but that little tiny four-year-old came out on my shoulder screaming, what did I do wrong? Yeah, I'm in trouble, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, the teacher saw me. And so I get up and go for a walk. And L, it was like a psychic reading. He was telling me what I did in the world, that I was in the arts, and I couldn't believe it. I, I came back and told my friends, you set, up, set me up. And they swear they didn't. And to this day, he says he, that wasn't the case. And so after all these decades, I believe them all. But what was so fascinating to me was then he walked me back to my chair. I sat down and he leaned over and whispered in my ear, oh, and if you think with your mouth closed, you'd look as intelligent as you are. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, what was I doing that he was catching me on? And imagine your chin going really slack and your mouth hanging open when you're mesmerized. I don't know if you've ever had that moment where you've been so fascinated, you just don't sure. know what your face is doing. Right. <laughs> and my mouth was hanging open big enough to catch, you know, whole herd of flies. It was just crazy. I didn't realize I was doing it until he had me do it in the mirror one time. He goes, there, that's what you were doing. And anyway, long story short, after he finished up in the morning, I just watched 
you know, how he interacted with people and things. Finally, I went up and I thought, what the hell? It's a, what the heck? Trying to take a gamble for it, right? And I offered my graphic design services to him. I'd realized that his website wasn't quite as, as up to date as it could be and things like that. So I offered my services and that started the door to open that created an amazing mentorship. I went on to uh, follow him. I co-wrote a couple of books with him, edited a good share of his books. And what was so fascinating to me was this generous person is sharing everything he knows. I mean, it was just became this wonderful mentorship. And what's perfect about certain mentorships is they get to a point where it's really not a mentorship anymore. It's a friendship because you each have your own styles and your own ways. And he got, I got to that point where he gently pushed me out of the nest. He realized that it was time for me to grow. And I had been having so much fun learning everything I could and editing and doing all this. I hadn't noticed that I really enjoyed the corporate world and his stronghold is in another um, clientele. And I really enjoyed working with professional women. And in his wisdom, he gently pushed me out of the nest. And we still friends to this day. Don't think that that ended our friendship in any way. It's still a very strong friendship. But I think it's a wise mentor who's able to say fly <laughs> and, to, and go for it. And that's how... I ended up where I am today. It's, and I look back and I go, all these things had to line up just perfectly to make that happen. So where does the difficult people whisperer come in? And, and I guess right off the bat, I would say, standing on the outside here, hearing your story of sort of kind of sh- shying away in the back of the class, like I don't want to be noticed, to me would go, oh, well, that's interesting because that seems sort of like a lower self-esteem platitude. And though to, so then it would seem like someone like that wouldn't want to deal with difficult people <laughs> and would try to avoid them at all costs. So so tell us, how how did you realize that you were good at dealing with or communicating with difficult people? Or what does difficult, you know, people whisper sort of mean to you or what people, you know, have projected on, onto you? Well, that's a great question, Elle, and let me back up. That was the old me. What Everything I learned in the the decades now have really changed. Once you start to become absolutely, as my friends say, irrationally passionate about something, all of that shyness goes away. All of that don't notice me goes away because you become so passionate about body language and nonverbal communication. And with this tiny, tiny little tweaks, people can radically change their lives. Quick story. Please. Okay. I had this woman come up. I was speaking at a large uh, women's uh, professional convention down in Florida. She came up to me after the speech and she said, why do everybody think I'm always judgmental? (laughs) Well, well, gosh, I don't know. I just met you five seconds ago. (laughs) But what was fascinating to me is we sat down and we chatted for a while. And I could see that she really was high systems and high process, meaning she loved to have how to list checklists, everything's had to go into a system. If you asked her a question, you could just see how she was trying to itemize it. And the opposite of that kind of person is someone who's high challenge and high risk and 
you often find those kinds of people work together because one needs the other to balance them out. A high risk, high challenge person is the kind that jumps in the pool and asks, asks the systems person if there's water in the pool. That's the kind of balance right. that happens. But she was so highly committed to systems and process that whenever you asked her a question, she made what I call a scrunchy face. So just kind of scrunch up your face, like your eyebrows go in and your, you know, your jaw gets tight and all scrunchy. And if you think about that scrunchy face, that's also sort of a lemon sucking face or it's a, a judgmental face. face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It totally is. And this was just her reaction to like her processing in her head, like, right. She, did, she didn't have the intention of the outcome Uh, right she is the most wonderful awesome giving loving person and that was her downfall in a way because she was wanted to please so much that she went inside and she went inside so tightly that that scrunchy face sort of (laughs) came in with her yet all the rest of us on the outside looking in are like oh my gosh what is that face is she judging me is she judging my request and so I took a quick picture with a cell phone, gave it to her and said, and I, here's a little tip is always coach in third person. If you saw this face, what would you think? Now, I easily could have said, here's your face. That's a judgmental face. But coaching in third person is such more, so much more effective that I said, if you saw this face, what would you think? And she said, oh, my gosh, that's a judgmental face. And I said, no, really, it's your thinking face. It's the face that you're highly committed to getting the right answer for me. So it's coming from the right place. We just have to learn to make a different face coming from that same place, which isn't as easy as it sounds, because that's a habit. That's a a habit. Deep habit. So what can we do instead? Gave her a notepad, not a tablet, not not electronics. There's a big disconnect with people using too much electronics. It's not great for nonverbal communication. Sorry to say, it's still not great, even after all these years. Gave her a yellow notepad and a pencil pen. Said, next time you see your boss or someone else that you know has a problem with his face, just take notes. Taking notes is an outside thing. You have to stay outside yourself to listen close enough to take notes. You're not going internally and solving the problem yet. And so she stayed outside herself and never made the scrunchy face. Ah, meaning when she was in a meeting and those kind of things where scrunchy face would come up, the the way to get out of that was her attention to the paper and the pad and take notes when someone else was talking. Absolutely. Was she able to move beyond that to eventually not use the pen and paper and just do it without it? Yes. And the other thing is she showed her boss that face, said what I had said. She'd seen a coach and this is what the coach said. They both had a good laugh. He realized it wasn't personal. It had nothing to do with him. It actually was a compliment to him because she was so committed to getting and being a good employee and getting the right answer for him that the scrunchy face doesn't even matter anymore. It's sort of the inside joke now that when she makes the scrunchy face, she's highly committed to getting the right answer. So once people realize that the other person is not personal, it's not about you, that that face that you're getting back, that response you're getting is not about you, so much of this just dissipates on its own. So many difficult people just disappear. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. That reminds me of many, many years ago, my mother is like the utmost professional corporate, she's retired now, but she was. And um, a, a very lovely, like not negative person at all. But 
in her attempt to be so businesslike, and I'm, I think I got a little bit of this from her because years later it was something I had to work on. She had a big interview many, many years ago, and she was very close, but she didn't get it. Anyway, she later heard that the feedback was that she didn't smile enough. And, and, and again, whatever their impression was of that, just based on her not being attentive to the fact that she needed to smile more in an interview, you know, because she was just so business. And then this happened to me years later and someone was like, hey, um, you know, you might want to just smile every now, you know, because I can be just so like, matter of fact, direct, let's get down to business. Let's just talk in this way and get it. And, and I'm, of course, a lighthearted, jovial person on the outside. But when I'm in business mode, sometimes I can sidestep that. And I found that it's, been really important. And I had to try to do it sort of out and about in the world, like just smiling at the cashier at the checkout. I say, you know, just kind of training myself to sort of smile more and be, you know, and I notice sometimes I'll see an interview of myself where I'm just like all straight business and then other parts where I'm more the full me. But it's just interesting, you know, these small things like making sure to smile during an interview because, you know, you might be a very serious business-minded person, but they also want to see that you're likable and they may get a wrong impression. What are some other stories or, or, or I guess, what are some common ones that we can touch on that are nonverbal communication fails that people might go, Ooh, that's me. I might need to change that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> let's, Other well, than let's scrunchy with, face. Yeah. Let's start with the smile. Now a smile is very loaded because if we smile too often or too big, it can be seen as too friendly in a business right. environment. It can almost be seen flirtatious. Both genders can almost be seen flirtatious. So it's something that I say, you have to judge the situation and how much are we into community building versus uh, business building, professional versus personal? There's always this dynamic that we play, this balance we play when we're in our life, whether we're in our personal life or our professional life. How much of the personal me comes out in professional and how much of professional comes out in my personal? So there's this balance that we play and the smile plays a big part of that. And the thing to remember, especially females, when we are smiling in business, please keep your chin parallel to the ground. You will look very businesslike and very friendly when you smile, but keeping your chin parallel to the ground. Let's tip our chin a little bit so our head tips a little bit to the left or the right, and then smile. And this is definitely a much more submissive type of pose. Yet when we keep our chin parallel to the ground and smile, it's just a friendly smile. Right. So that the chin plays a critical role in how, as a female, we're perceived. Like, are we being submissive, too flirtatious? If you're hearing some of these, why are you always so's? You're like, that doesn't, that's not who I am. I'm being businesslike. I'm just trying to appear friendly and businesslike. Consider that maybe your chin is not parallel to the ground, that you're tipping your head while you smile. So that's uh, something that's a little more gender specific, but men do it too. And then let's talk a little bit more about the chin, because I think the chin is underrated when people talk about body <laughs> uh, life. Uh, by the way, Nuth, I've never heard those words spoken out of anyone's <laughs> mouth. So I want to hear all about how the chin is underrated. It absolutely is. So where we put our chin, so we just talked about keeping our chin parallel to the ground when we smile, we'll look much more business-like. But imagine you're a business leader and you have your team in front of you or maybe a team member. And we'll say a difficult team member. Maybe this team member always wants more time. It's always pushing. They're always doing this, always doing that. You're like, I don't get it. Why am I not being seen as the leader that I am? Why is this team member being, air quotes, difficult? 
probably what you're doing with your chin. So imagine they're going over and they're saying, but L, I need more time to do the report. L, I need this. I need that. And as any well-trained listener is probably doing, there's some slight head nodding going on and maybe even a tip of the head while you're listening. And in the leader's mind, you're going, oh, I'm nodding my head to show non-verbally that I'm tracking, I'm listening, I'm taking it in. However, there are certain personality types that will stretch that nod as not acknowledgement, but agreement. So, Mm -hmm. but L, I need till Tuesday to get this report in. And then I wait and I give you the report at Tuesday and you're going, Sharon, I said Friday. I said, no, we had that conversation and you agreed with me. And you're like, I did? Well, you had your chin tipped with a slight to the left or right, and the nodding you saw as acknowledgement, I saw as agreement. That's an interesting nuance. That's a very interesting nuance that I bet is extremely valuable in a negotiation scenario, because I would be inclined to say that, like you said, keeping that chin level and still is way more powerful of a stance than, again, any kind of nodding or movement. Mm, Absolutely. And then can we stay with the chin since I find it a powerful overlooked body part? The thing is, now what about the chin? We talked a little bit about me in the back row. Keeping my chin down as I'm taking notes looks very introverted. Actually, I'm just taking notes, but the chin is down. Or texting, you know, a lot of us, you know, sidebar here. A lot of people are getting a foreshortened neck, and it's very hard for them to keep their chin parallel to the ground because they're working non-ergonomically and yes, foreshortening neck. their neck. Thank you for yeah, bringing that up. Neck. Everybody notice this. When you're sitting around your house, you look at your head is down, everyone's neck is beveled over. I mean, listen, if you want to be hunched over when you're 70, that's how you keep going. <laughs> so, A lot of my clients, when I say now... I'll, I'll meet them and we're doing some coaching and you know, whatever, helping them prepare for a big speech, whatever it is. And I'll say, okay, I'll say now chin parallel to the ground. And they go, it is. And you're looking at it from the outside in. You're like, and you know, may I touch you and move your chin? <laughs> and they go, oh, that hurts. And that's because they have text necks. So stretch your neck, guys. But that's a sidebar. <laughs> but the interesting thing is, so maybe I have text neck and people are from the outside going, she's shy, he's shy, he's introverted, he's afraid, he's not aggressive, he's not assertive. And it's just because I can't keep my chin parallel to the ground. And here's the opposite of that when our chin is too high. And oftentimes I find this has to do with someone's height that if there is a difference in height, that say I'm on the shorter side and the person I'm talking to is on the taller side, I lift my chin to talk to them to make eye contact, right? I mean, it seems logical. I I would gather you would say keep the chin parallel and look, gaze your eyes up. Gaze your eyes up or request that they sit because most people, the height difference becomes minimal in a chair. Mm -hmm. Sit with me. I'd love to know more. Yeah. Or let's have a seat or whatever it is, because what happens if I'm going to do it right now, I hope we can hear it on audio. If I lift my chin, you'll see the quality of my voice changes and I can't get as much air here. And what happens is I become sort of shrill. People begin to think she's anxious. She's even angry. There's certain politicians that are on the smaller side 
that the shorter side that I well, actually I thought they were I looked them up they're my height and I don't I think I'm average height but anyway they tend to talk with their chin up and the problem is then everybody says they're always angry and no if they would learn to talk with their chin parallel to the ground their voice would sound fine wow yeah it's it's amazing how these subtleties is there anything more on the chin Oh, there's tons, but let's do something else. Right, right, right. Well, okay, so, you know, a standard one I think everyone might have heard already is, you know, sitting in a chair with crossed arms, crossed legs, like that kind of body language, one of blocking or receiving. How how are, talk to us a little bit about other, or, or if there's something more fascinating than that, because um, the chin was not something I was going to expect. So I'll, I'll let you bring up whatever you'd like to bring up, but it'd be interesting to hear about sort of another one of these these nuances here. Well, what's fascinating to me is there's uh, a famous YouTube out there about power positions, Amy Cuddy. She talks about power positions, and that's taking the Wonder Woman Superman pose. And she's, uh, she has fabulous research, awesome understanding of the power pose and how it can help you uh, energetically. In my mind, it's more energetically about look more authoritative. Problem is, if you do a power pose, so imagine Superman, Wonder Woman, hands hands on hips, feet apart, you're not going to stand up before the board of directors and do that pose. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, that's going to look awkward. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you do instead? Well, first off, that pose will make you feel more confident. So you can do it in private. You can do it before you step out on stage, whatever. If there's a little place in the back of the room, you can do it in private. But there are workarounds. I love workarounds. The first one is just take up much, much more space at the table. So you're all in this conference room and you're sitting at the table. Take up some space. You'll see that there are some gender differences. And sometimes there are people who just come in and all of a sudden are encroaching on your space. They'll, I've even seen it where they move your coffee cup closer to you so they can have another six inches, even though they had totally space. <laughs> Right. So just kind of go in there and own like a nice own section of real estate. And yeah. And that's why I'm another fan of a yellow, t uh, the old flipping yellow tablet. You can take up much more space with paper than you can with a little, uh, you know, electronic tablet. So <laughs> if you're taking notes, take up a lot of space and it's fine. It's just own the space. And then also you will feel more energetically uh, in that power pose, even though you don't have your hands on your hips and your feet aren't wide apart, just taking up physical space gives you a very similar rea a physical reaction to your body inside, energetically. Another thing you can do is roll your shoulders back and just sort of open up your chest so you have plenty of breathing space so your lungs can really get full of air. Another way you feel in charge is if you're breathing fully and completely. And one thing that power pose does, we know if we put our hands on our hips, it expands our chest. So another great part of that is you're getting enough air, oxygen into your system so we can think clearly and we can be present. Energetically, the more oxygen we have in our system, the better our brain's working and the more present we are in the moment. If we're breathing high and rapid and that puts us automatically into fight or flight. 
And the best way, if you're a little nervous, oh my gosh, you got to talk to the board of directors, I'm a little nervous, butterflies flying out of formation, breathe, slow down, take some nice deep breaths, and you'll find that all of that disappears in about two or three breaths. It just takes seconds to clear all that butterflies, get them flying in formation, clear all that clutter out very quickly. Wow. And you don't have to stand in that power pose, <laughs> which I don't right, recommend. And look ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but those are some things you can do. So when you stand up and you start talking, keep the deep breathing going because your voice will sound clearer and more in command when you have plenty of breath behind it. You come from an acting background, Elle. You know how important it is to have full uh, lung capacity going on when we're speaking. Mm-hmm critically important to the quality of the voice. We can speak fast or slow. It's just a matter of the quality of the air, enough air behind the voice to sound in charge. And then another little thing that will make you look more powerful in that board of directors or any sort of meeting that you want to show I, I use the word power very carefully. I don't mean this is not like running over someone. You just want to be seen as confident and in control of yourself. This isn't about dominating someone. Does it, I hope I'm making that distinction Absolutely. clear. Use the word power. Absolutely. If you use a flat voice, it's called the command voice. They also have the connection voice. That's the opposite. Everything's got duality to it. The command voice is very flat. And so think of Bond, James Bond. It's very flat, but you also sound very much in command when we use a flat voice. So think of a captain on a plane, and you, they would, you would hear something, thank you for boarding. We appreciate you being here. We'll be flying at 33,000 feet. Now, if I said it with a non-flat voice or modulating voices, thank you for coming. Happy to have you here. We'll be flying at 33,000 feet. Which pilot would you rather have? Absolutely. The first one, of course. Yes. It's, um, there's an air of authority and trust in their confidence in the thing just because of the way that they're speaking. Absolutely. But the other voice is not, quote, unquote, a bad voice. You want that community voice. Thank you for coming. It's so delightful to have you here. Yes, your seat is uh, 23F. Oh, and we'll be serving pretzels, too. So you want both voices. That's called the connection voice. It's just knowing which voice do you want when. And you can use them both in the same speech. So you're delivering bad news. You're delivering difficult news, bad news. You're delivering something that you want really to be taken to heart. You use the command voice. But they can't see you as the professional 100% of the time. Otherwise, you just become you know, lopsided. Oh my gosh, they're just always stuck in that leadership role. Are they human? So you use the connection voice to tell, tell a little metaphor, tell a little story, tell a win that the company just had, you know, a bravo that the company just had in that modulated, sing-songy type of voice, the connection voice. And all of a sudden, not only are you this powerful leader in command, oh my gosh, they're human too. So you can relate because you see the duality. Yeah, absolutely. This just is fascinating work. Um, before we move on to talk about auto, your autoimmune experience, uh, what was your most uh, difficult client or company, if it was a client, that, you know, a scenario with the nonverbal communication coaching that 
you had, or, or not that it was difficult for you, but that maybe, you know, it, it, they were set and it was a tough one for them, but they, they did a 180. Oh, good question. Oh, thank you. I had to think about that. I enjoy a challenge, so I don't always, sometimes people go, wow, that must've been hard. I'm like, no, it was fun. <laughs> I enjoy a challenge. I think the biggest challenge for me was a company culture change that certain words at this company seem to be ingrained in the culture. You know how certain age groups use different words? The boomers use, you know, a lot. Uh, Other age groups use the word like. There's Mm -hmm. a whole group of people that use the word basically. And so there are these little language softeners or, you know, parts of language we don't need. And this company was doing training their people to do two things. And that was use a tablet everywhere, which is really an icebreaker. It's this electronics that you can't maintain eye contact. It, to me, paper and pencil is still the way to maintain relationship. Anyway, they trained their people to everything from sales calls to team meetings have this tablet in front of them. And then the other one that just drove me nuts that we became a joke after the training. Throughout the training, we would stop and bring it up was the word basically. It was a culture that the majority of people in that culture used the word, started every sentence with basically. And now how is an trainer that you bring that up to people similar to when a professional speaker will get up on stage and make some comment about turn off your cell phone. And then when a cell phone rings, it can become humorous. It can become sort of a, a humorous scolding look, whatever it is. But you can do the same thing with words or other cultural traits that you want to draw attention to that are not serving them in the way they think. Or maybe they're even just blind that it's a cultural thing. What is it about the word basically that was off that needed to be changed? You know, people listening would go, all right, so it's just a form of speech, but it's not necessarily a negative term. Um, I'm, I can't see any reason why that would be something you'd pinpoint to change. So what's behind that? Well, basically, it's used basically too much because basically we don't need to hear about it because it either is or it isn't. So it's one of those words that you don't need. And how did you think that was affecting the culture in a way that warranted a change of it? It was the constant repetition of the word. Ah, just was. If you heard, I used it four times yep. in one sentence. The listener goes, "Okay, I get it." Yeah, right. <laughs> no, okay, yeah, for sure. It's uh, anyone who uses a word too often, ums, ahs, you knows, basically, like those are all filler words. And oftentimes there are words that we're using because we're not ready for the next sentence. Where you look as a most powerful speaker is instead of using those filler words, you pause, you take a deep breath, and you start again. It's amazing how much more powerful you have, and people will wait for you to finish through that pause. Pausing is where you look most intelligent to other people because they have a chance to catch up with what you're saying. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Tell us then now, let's move into autoimmune. What is your journey with that? Oh my goodness. Several years ago, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition out of the blue, so to speak, 
thought I was living a healthy life, all of that, but started having strange symptoms. And it was another one of those events similar to when I took a left-hand turn <laughs> a couple of decades ago and threw myself into understanding nonverbal communication and body language when you get a life-altering diagnosis. And at the time, if you know anyone that's ever had a diagnosis like that, they you get a whole set of statistics and the doctors are trying to be honest with you and they're trying to give you everything. And yet it always ends up with being quite catastrophic and very difficult. And you know, oh my gosh. And then my first thought was, I'm like this. I think you are too well. It's like, well, I'll show you. That's not, I am not going to be that stat. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like I'll be on the other side with the other stats that are the better, <laughs> the better exactly. camp group. Yeah. And what happened when I got that diagnosis and that prognosis of it pretty catastrophic, you walk out of there in shock. What was your diagnosis? It's called dermatomyositis. It's a skin condition where the skin actually looks like third degree burns and peels off. It's not oh, pretty. Wow. Okay. And that's an autoimmune disorder. It's an autoimmune disorder, right? Yeah. But when I got that diagnosis, I... After the shock period, after the grieving period, we all have that. You must honor yourself and go through those periods. Please don't rush those periods. I threw myself into finding everything I could. I really hadn't, I'd paid attention to my health and thinking that my exercising and having salads and all of that was healthy. Yet there was so much more to health and well being that I had overlooked. I took for granted. And four months into my diagnosis, I started to come out the other side and I started to want to know more from the experts. But so many of the experts are either booked, I couldn't afford or weren't seeing clients. So what do we do? I start a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That's one way to do it. Yep. And the autoimmune hour is now seven, almost seven years old and 300 episodes and it's the number one show on Om Times Radio, wellness show on Om Times Radio, and it's just been amazing. Here's another journey that opens up that when you're aligned and your passion and purpose, and you're like, okay, and you accept the gifts that come your way instead of saying, oh no, 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 I could never have learned body language, or oh no, 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 you know, I'm just gonna be sick over here. It's like okay, what is this about and how what, How can I make this have meaning? How can I have this meaning? And for me, I was blessed with being able to talk to some amazing experts and say, oh, now, even with all my communication training, it took a lot of communication <laughs> to get some of those experts on the show. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, also my frustrations with the doctors I'd come away just going, oh, my gosh, if I'm that frustrated thinking I'm not being listened to, that the doctor did not hear the real meaning of all my symptoms or the real thing going on with me, how could someone without my training, they would be so frustrated. I mean, I'm frustrated. I can't imagine what someone else would be. So that's when I started the show. And I just, okay, I'm going to share what I'm learning. I want these experts not just to keep it to myself. But anybody who's going through it or their caregiver or their their loved one has it, I'm going to share what I'm learning about autoimmune. And the amazing thing I learned about autoimmune is it's just not physical. 
there's so much research that shows past traumas affect the body. They can have past energies, past accidents, all sorts of things can play in to how the body slowly adapts and sometimes breaks down over time. And if you had asked me at the diagnosis, I would have thought it was purely physical. I'm going to get rid of the muscle weakness and the skin rashes. But in my journey here, I'm learning that, oh, my gosh, health and well-being are so much more about not just the physical, the spiritual, the emotional, the energetics, resolving past traumas within you, coming to terms with those difficult people in your life. So to me, it's all come, it's all one big circle. I know it sounds very different, but to me, it's really taking the skills that I learned and just adapting them into a different environment. Hmm. Interesting. So how long was your suffering with this before it started to resolve? And were there specific things you did other than the mind-body stuff that helped you? Well, I'm one of those that's willing to try just about anything that sounds somewhat reasonable. <laughs> I mean, there is a lot of quackery out there. So my big thing is, you know, use your reason, use your research, because we're all different and we all have autoimmune. There's over 150 diagnosed right now, labels right now. But so many of the symptoms are similar. Brain fog, muscle weakness, sometimes skin rashes, you know, uh, joint pain. A lot of the symptoms are similar. So a lot of times people don't even have an accurate diagnosis. So I say trust yourself, trust your body, and do a lot of the simple things. The one thing I learned is it's not as difficult as people make it. Um, diet is critically important, so learn the right diet for you. Just because somebody else is gluten-free, you may or may not have to be. Just because somebody else is dairy-free or egg-free, you may or may not have to be. So sometimes I see people like say, oh, I don't eat nightshades, do gluten, dairy, blah, blah, you know, and they're going through this list. And I go, what do you eat? And they come up with 10 things. I'm like, have you been tested? Oh, no, no, I just heard it. No, autoimmune is mm -hmm. so unique to each of us, even if we have the same label it manifests completely different. So my journey was really a journey of inner exploration and, and listening carefully like, oh, when I eat X within 20 minutes, I've got a runny nose or within 20 minutes, I've got a headache or within two days, my joints hurt, whatever it is. Symptoms are our greatest teachers. They are. And sometimes they're the hardest to hear because was it the cookie I ate two days ago, or was it the eggplant I ate yesterday, which is a nightshade, and some people have problems with nightshades, which is tomatoes, uh, potatoes, uh, eggplant, things like that. You know, so sometimes it's a little difficult to decipher, and you almost become your own detective in doing the research and the work. But and that's really what it I comes down to. to. Yeah. That's what it comes down to, and I just want to highlight that. And that's what the show's about. It's what my life's about. Clearly yours. We cannot just dump our health and our future into an MD's hands. You have to participate. You have to learn. And a lot of this, like you said, it's biohacking. It's stuff your doctor can't be there with you every day to say, oh, you ate the eggplant. Maybe try not eat. I mean, you know, this is a lot of self-discovery. And it's usually the ones that are perseverant in this way that succeed. 
And one of the best ways I learned to persevere, because I'll tell you, when I start feeling good, I forget. <laughs> all right. Sure. Cheat. We all do. Right. You're like, oh, here we go. I'm from dairy. No problem. <laughs> yeah. I'll just have one little bite, you know, because it's my grandchild's birthday, whatever. I journal. And what I like to do in my journal is I write everything on the right hand page and dated everything. And then I leave the left hand page blank. And then I go back. I, you know, the person who taught me this had a system that they go back every month and then every six months and blah. I'm not a, really a systems person, but I go back and I start looking and I read the old journal writings and then I make notes on what's changed on the left-hand side of the page. I date it. And so now this, and it's amazing that, Oh, when I was feeling better, I was doing X, Y, Z. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, I forgot. I quit doing that because I was feeling so much better that the joints weren't bothering me, whatever. I forgot to keep doing that. And so it's important that two things, that when you look back and read the right hand and write on the left-hand side of the page, you realize several things. First, what was working, what wasn't working, and this old uh, quote of this too shall pass. So if you're down in the valley, you're having what is known in the, indus the industry of autoimmune is a flare. You're able to go, oh, that was two years ago. And gosh, you know, I'm having another one of those. What did I do to get out of that? Oh, I remember. And you're able to do it. So for me, journaling might sound like some people, oh, Sharon, I don't have time. What's your health worth? So remember because you're the meticulous record keeper of that, not your doctor. How many times have you gone to the doctor and you were going to talk about 20 things and all of a sudden 10 minutes have passed and you're ushered out the door? Yeah, that's a, that's a common story. So uh, for me, journaling, uh, it's not a waste of time. For me, it's a way of keeping records. Sometimes people have notebooks, whatever you want to keep your records, but understanding the journey, because you'll think you remember it all, but... Trust me, after a while, you don't. It, it all blends together. Have I had that test or haven't I had that test? And when was it? Was it yesterday? Was it two years ago? Was it five years ago? It's pretty amazing how the time seems to get away from us. Amazing. Yeah, it's uh, the autoimmune. Uh, and, and by the way, you know, everyone listening, autoimmune issues are on the rise. We are in a toxic society with a bunch of processed junk. Um, so they are on the rise and it's something that, you know, again, thank God for the internet and all this, these great resources out there. Tell us a little bit about how can we work with you in both of the ways that you work? Do you work with patients on their autoimmune journey or is that just mostly your podcast? And I want to just, uh, Sharon is, uh, your website regards with regards to the, you know, nonverbal communication and understanding autoimmune.com is your other website, which is related to your podcast. How can we work with you if we're listening and we're like, I have an autoimmune condition and I want to talk to her about it, or I need some help with my, not I have a scrunchy face. <laughs> well, either way, I am a certified professional coach and in both in the health and wellness field, as well as an executive and leadership coaching. So that's how I work with people. I am not a doctor. I don't, if we're talking about autoimmune, it's, what I call tips and tricks to optimize your life. It's not, I'm not a doctor. I can't prescribe tests. I don't, you know, give any sort of medical advice, like even take vitamin X, you know, I, I that's not what I do. But 
when you are feeling crummy, when you're feeling, you know, your body's out of control, whatever, having a coach is critically important, similar to when you feel like your leadership or your, your business world is out of whack. Accountability, another pair of eyes, someone who is what I call passionately emotionally disconnected. I'm passionately dedicated to my client's success, but I have to stay emotionally disconnected so I can see it from another point of view. I have to be able to see it from an observer role because if I get emotionally entangled, then, you know, it becomes a little muddy and, and I may not see it as, as clearly as needed to be seen because seeing it from multiple viewpoints is what makes it clear, whether it's our health or it's our business health. They both need to be seen from a distinct point of view. And when you, that's what you hire coaches for or other experts is to bring in their expertise from the outside and see it from a different point of view. So that's the type of work I do. And I do both large groups and small groups and in one-on-one. So reach out to me just through the websites or through social media. I'm on social media too and happy to have a chat. And if I'm not the one, maybe I know somebody who is. Yeah, I think everyone listening, what a you just you're wonderful, and all of your work is wonderful, and the way that you um, you have excellent verbal and nonverbal communication. <laughs> right, you are definitely a pro. <laughs> no, thank you so much. This is such a fascinating conversation, and something we can all look at. Like for example, I uh, like right there. There are times when I have to be more cognizant of the ums and ahs and of likes and things like that. And there's some days where I'm just too much in that one direction. And I notice it through interviews and things, you know, things of that nature where I can hear myself and go, okay, so you did that too much there. Did you? And these are all just really important uh effective communication tools that even myself as a communicator, as a speaker, as someone who's talking all the time still falls prey to, you know, I still have to, I have moments where I was like, wow, I must've said, um, a hundred times during that thing. Like what is going on with me? Absolutely. And and I'll tell you what's interesting is when I ever watch an, uh, any kind of news or a, a reporter, it is terribly annoying when they keep saying like, well, today at the White House, uh, we went to, uh, and you notice it, you know, not really when you're doing it, but when you see other people do it and you go, oh my gosh, I have got to stop this. It is so much more confident and fluid to, to not have that break. And again, it's just something that sometimes I even have to pay attention to. These are all really great lessons. Is there anything you'd like to leave our audience with on either or both subjects we talked about? Both subjects. I'm a firm believer that how we do one thing is how we do everything. So I don't see a big difference between how I approach communication and how I approach my health. I I see them very similar. But the critical thing to remember is give yourself plenty of grace. Give yourself plenty of love. I still catch myself. You listen back to this podcast, you're going to hear me say, you know, you're going to hear me say, um, going to hear me say other words repeatedly, even though I'm training, but it's a a training that you continue to train yourself. It's not ever perfect. And that's okay. Just continue to optimize as you go. A lot of people, the doctor would look at me and say, Sharon, you're not in remission. Or Sharon, you're in remission. You're not cured. See, I messed up there. You're in remission. You're not cured. 
I don't care. I, the word isn't important to me. I feel good. Mm-hmm. And that's about optimizing. Whether the word is cured or remission doesn't really matter. If you optimize your communications, you optimize your health. One little thing a day is not 365 by the end of a year. It, it's exponential. Mm-hmm. You keep your chin parallel to the ground when you smile the first day. The second day, you notice that maybe you're tipping your head a little bit to the left or the right when you listen and nod. Hmm, I don't want to do that. I'm going to put my chin parallel to the ground. You've just exponentially changed your leadership, how people view your leadership. So one little optimization every day, pretty soon you're rocking it. Yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, very applicable to everyone doing videos and IGTVs and all of these things with their businesses, entrepreneurs getting out there online, same rules go, right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. More critical, though, because you've probably seen what video does, especially Zoom or those types of video chat types of formats. You have to be use gestures entirely differently. A lot of times our gestures come from our elbows, which is waist high, approximately. Yet on a, on a video chat, they're only seeing, you know, how much I'm guessing, you know, right above, right below your neck, right below your chin, maybe something like that. So people then begin to gesture right near their face or they gesture out and all of a sudden their hand becomes huge. So with an entirely different format of body language around the virtual world, even though we still have to do gestures and those sorts of movements to get people to engage with us. Now, the area that I'm fascinated right now, Al, is mask wearing and, and things like smiling because the eyes perk up when we smile, although you can't see it behind a mask. But you have to smile to get the smiling eyes. The smiling eyes don't come without a smile. And a lot of people are like, why should I smile? I'm behind a mask. Well, if you want your eyes to get that little smiley twinkle, you have to be smiling. So <laughs> this whole area of wearing a mask and other covers, it's going to be interesting as we navigate what other facial expressions do we use to express emotion. You know, I just remembered something I wouldn't mind touching on here at the end, if you don't mind, which is about the eyes. So one of the things years ago I noticed, or anyone, if you're watching any film, TV, it doesn't matter. It could be a TV show, sitcom. It could be a dramatic series. It doesn't really matter what it is. You'll notice that the actors are not blinking a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're not. Uh, That is intentional. And I've noticed, you know, in the nonverbal communication, you're talking with someone and they're not they don't have eye contact or they're blinking a lot, that again denotes a certain type of impression that you don't want to give off. And so that's something to look out look look out for too as well. I've noticed that I over time have had to become better at direct eye contact. I find that when I you know, again, that's a little bit of a powerful position too, being able to look at someone, not look away, not blink a ton. Um, these are also things that are really important if you're trying to get a point across or negotiate something. So yeah, I don't know what, what thoughts you have on blinking and and that kind of, that kind of thing is just something I've noticed over time. It's more powerful to not. It absolutely is more powerful to not blink. A couple of notes about that is my mentor and I were just friends now. I still call my mentor, but we'll have breakfast together and we will talk to each other, consciously going, how long, who's going to be the first to blink? 
it's a way to practice because it's so ingrained to blink a lot. And why is blinking an issue? You are seen as more serious in control of yourself if you blink less. Right. Think of those dramatic moments where they zoom in with the camera. And right. this was a Jack Nicholson, uh, Tom Cruise movie. I can't think of it. But a few right good now, men. Thank you. Where if you watch that scene, there is no blinking. Not and that reason <laughs> is so right. powerful. It's not because he's raising his voice. It's not because he's got a lot of air behind his voice. It's because he doesn't blink. And people believe that. Now, let me put a little asterisk by that. Because a lot of people say with body language, I'll, how do I spot a liar? You will spot an unprofessional liar pretty easily. We all just get the, the hair on our arms going up and our right. neck going up with a non-professional liar. A professional liar knows all these little tricks and they practice like I do, not blinking. Not that I'm a professional liar. I do it for sport with my mentor because it's fun. Sure. And we, it's something that we like to see how long can we go. However... Some of these rules that you will read in tabloids and things about how to spot a liar is it only a only a non-professional liar or only a bad liar? <laughs> <laughs> right, the one that's going to get caught. Yeah, not the, the professional, professional con man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The professional liars know. <laughs> no, that the less I limit, the more I limit my blinking, the more believable I am. So that's my little asterisk by the idea of blinking, but very powerful. If you want to be seen as powerful, practice not blinking. And you could do that by video. However, going circling back to the idea of third person, watch the video and coach yourself in third person. So in your case, L, you're watching a video and you're seeing yourself, obviously, but you would go, hmm, if I was to coach her, third person, if I was to coach her on screen, I would tell her to do X, Y, Z there. What she just did wasn't so effective, but if she did X, Y, Z, she'd be much more effective. Yeah. And you know, I even noticed this recently. So I have a new podcast, Kick-Ass Life podcast uh, with Coach Tara Garrison, and it's us side by side on video. And so when she's talking and I'm listening to her and I'm, I'm looking directly you know, there's, there's no movement or hell tits or uh, hell tits or uh, head tilts or chin, 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 chin fails. But I will, I will, she'll be saying something. I'll be agreeing and I'll, I'll be like nodding slightly, but it's kind of, when you're looking at it, it's a little bit distracting. I noticed, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm just nodding a little bit in the background, but side by side. So it was just one of those notes to myself after watching it where I was like, you know, um, that's not a good presentation on camera. It's better for me to just, you know, not, not internally and not, continue to show it because it would be throughout like a whole two minutes. I just my head was sort of slightly going up and down. And again, you know, just one of those notes where I was like, I did what you said, where I was like, you know, what would I do differently? <laughs> or if, it were, if I were coaching this person, I would tell them stop freaking nodding. It's distracting. And it's just this movement over here that I don't need to see. So yeah, there's a uh, th that's really interesting stuff. Um, it so takes much the pain fun. out of it. It, it. When you do it in third person, if I was to coach her, right. him, them, it, it takes the pain out of it. It's not of that, oh, what was I thinking? Or, oh my gosh, those pants do really do make me look big. You know, it takes all of that out of it. Right. Or, or the, like, what would that. you tell your friend if they said the same thing to you? What would you, yeah, these, these things are, are better put on the outside a little bit because then it can pan that camera up for that person. Your work, you must have so much fun doing what you do. With the number of yeah, I can only imagine because it's really fun to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> 
I enjoy it. To me, it's a puzzle. It's something to solve. I, I love to be intrigued with it. It's always fascinating. Instead of looking at the scrunchy face, what is the scrunchy face trying to achieve? Mm-hmm. It's not changing the scrunchy face. It's There's always a driver behind it. Okay, what is the purpose of that? And that's where it becomes fascinating. And in all the two decades, have been over two decades I've been doing this, I haven't had the same solution. Everybody has a different driver. Right. Similar, similar, but the, nobody's ever been the same driver. And I love that. It's like a big puzzle to solve. So fascinating. What a great discussion. Thank you so much for coming on. And of course, we will put all of the links to social media and your websites in our show notes so people can connect with you. Once again, thank you so much and for all the work that you do. Well, thank you, Elle. I love your show. Thank you for being here and giving us, bringing us such powerful information from all of your amazing guests. Uh, thanks so much. Back at you and everyone else. We will see you next week. Hey, Primal Blueprint listeners, no dairy in your life? No problem. Primal Kitchen has you covered because our no-dairy vodka sauce is made with avocado oil and organic cashew butter so you can ditch the dairy and keep the decadent taste you love. Made without gluten, soy, canola oil, or artificial ingredients, this vegan plant-based sauce is paleo certified. Visit us at primalkitchen.com for more real food options from dairy-free Alfredo sauce to tomato basil marinara and a whole host of other delicious products the entire family will love. Hi folks, Mark Sisson here. If you found your way to the primal path and want to help others live primally too, then visit primalhealthcoach.com to learn how you can join our mission to help 100 million people reclaim their health and how you can turn your passion for wellness into a profitable health coaching career that you love. The world needs health coaches. The world needs you. So visit primalhealthcoach.com today to learn more.